You are listening to Behind the Mask with Diva with Depression. Hey guys, welcome to Behind the Mask with the Diva with Depression. I'm your hostess, Dee Dee, aka the Diva with the Depression. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate all of the love and support that I've been receiving. It really means a lot. I have some exciting updates for you guys, so make sure you tune in to the end so you can hear my good news. Today I'm going to be tackling a touchy subject, racism in the medical field. Yes, guys, this is a real thing. Medical racism is indeed a real thing. A huge, silent thing. The world's most poorly kept secret. (laughs) Today I'm going to mix some facts and some feelings on this subject. I'm going to share some stories that I have with you guys. And as always, you know, I'll be throwing in some Google and, and... encyclopedia facts for you because, you know, I'm a nerd. In 2014, well, let's start back. Um, A couple of, well, around 2011, 2012, I fell and hurt my elbow. When I went to all the doctors in Charlotte, they just said that it was a sprain, a hairline sprain, it would heal. By the time I moved to New Jersey in 2014 came around, I had to I, I had to have surgery on my elbow. It turns out that it was a hairline fracture that and I needed to have elbow replacement surgery. So in 2014, I had the surgery. Afterwards, I wasn't healing correctly and I was still having a lot of pain in my elbow after a couple of weeks. I went to the doctor and so I was in the room with my doctor who was not African American (laughs) and the doctor's assistant who also wasn't African American. Do you know that after everything, this doctor told me that my elbow would heal better if I lost weight. Now y'all. I never ever denied having a little extra poundage around, but my elbow and even the doctor's assistant looked at him like, how could you say that to her? But this is how we are viewed. This is how society treats us. So, you know, I always have to hit you guys with a Google fact. You ready? Okay. Medical racism is the systematic and widespread racism against people of color within the medical field. It includes both the racism in our society that makes people black, black people less healthy, this disparity in health coverage by race and the biases held by healthcare workers against people of color in their care. So that was from the YWCA, a post, um, an article that a, a doctor wrote for them a couple of years ago. So bottom line is that you take, you know, if you take some of the wording out of this definition means that you have people that are working as medical professionals who cannot separate their personal feelings and their personal biases from their work life. 
So that means that you have people who do not like brown and black people being responsible for giving us care. And that's a problem. That's a big, big problem. I have many stories about my experiences with racism in the medical field. I have stories about my first pregnancy. Y'all just heard the elbow story. It's a never ending list. I'm black. I'm a woman. I'm chunky. I'm disabled. And <laughs> I'm on a public health care plan. Shit, I got stories for days. But I digress. I'm just going to talk about racism in the mental health field, the psychological field today. Remind me to tell y'all one day about my weight loss adventures. <laughs> That's a whole episode within itself. So let's dig into the psychological bullcrap today. Mental illness does not discriminate. Unfortunately, psychiatrists and psychologists most definitely do. Less than 2% of American Psychological Association members are black or African American. Some may worry that mental health care practitioners are not currently competent enough to treat our specific issues. Our specific issues. They're not qualified. When, after I had my first child, I was struggling with postpartum depression. And I was also dealing with a very hostile work environment. So because of my history with mental illness, I decided to find a therapist that was near to my job that I can go to at lunchtime just to have someone to talk to and sort of have a professional help me work on what I was struggling with. One day, and, and I went to her maybe one or two times and she was not from here. And, you know, I guess the first two visits were a getting to know you, period. So there's nothing really, when you go to a new therapist, you know, they do, or a new doctor, any doctor, you know, they spend time getting to know you, uh, getting a, gr a grasp on your background. So I want to say the third session was the day that the OJ verdict came through. And we were in the office having my session and I don't know how we came to hear from people outside that the verdict came through. And she just had this, this blank look on her face. Like she had no idea what to say and she didn't know what to say to me. So we ended the session early. The next session, I had an incident at work with one of the administrators who of course was not black. And that was something that I wanted to talk about. And so first we touched on the OJ Simpson verdict and how that made me feel. Then we touched on how this administrator 
was treating me because of my race. This therapist, instead of, you know, being very professional, decided to tell me that her plight was more intense than my plight because she's from a country where there is violence and they come to America and they are not treated properly. So I was taken aback by this because really, <laughs> you know, you're in here, you're my therapist. And so I simply said to her, when you walk down the street, no one knows where you're from. They see a white face and therefore you're accepted. It is not until you open your mouth to speak and they hear your native language where they may release <laughs> their bias. When I walk down the street, I'm always a black woman and therefore the struggles are not the same. And she got very defensive. And I knew then, of course, that this was gonna be our last session. But instead of being defensive and ignorant, she could have continued to let me express how these issues were affecting me. Or she could have mentioned that in certain circles, she too has felt uncomfortable because of her background. But she chose not to do that. She chose to be unprofessional and she chose to make her plight, which listen, damn it, I'm not the therapist. <laughs> you know, she didn't come to my office to talk to me. I'm in her office. So her personal plight really had nothing to do with the reason why I was here. But I knew from that point on that number one, she wasn't gonna be my therapist anymore. And number two, that she let her bias and her attitudes disrupt my care and I'm gonna tell you guys I didn't go back to therapy for a while after that because of course I couldn't find an african-american therapist I couldn't find a, a therapist that understood my background especially in Manhattan <laughs> in New York City you know how that goes so I didn't go to therapy for a while and and I want to say that my my mental illness spiraled downward after that because I didn't have any proper care. So, yeah, it, that's something that's gonna stay with me forever. And, and it sort of controlled how I dealt with therapists going forward. I always say that even in the worst times, you learn a lesson. And that was a lesson that is going to stay with me forever. Hey, I got another fact. This is from the American Psychiatric Association. Racial microaggressions are brief and commonplace. Daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative racial slights and insults toward people of color. Did you hear that? Slights towards people.
people of color. Can you imagine being at the lowest point in your life? I mean, at rock bottom, the bottom of hell. And you have to deal with that low point and you have to deal with the racist crap coming from people that are supposed to care for you. That is absolutely horrible. You are supposed to walk into a medical facility or a medical office and receive the best care available. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what color you are. And so while we're fighting for our lives, we're fighting for our sanity, we still have to be aware of the microaggressions that doctors and nurses are throwing at us. What kind of shit is that? Excuse me. But that's our lives. That is our lives. And we keep getting told to be quiet. We keep getting told to let it go. But how do you let that go? How do you let that go? Going back to the first incident with my elbow surgery, that the doctor was Asian American. And so he let his bias control his treatment plan. And here we are in 2021, and I will tell you that it has been discovered that the surgery was done incorrectly. But it was because I was overweight. And I was a woman. And we'll throw in a black woman that he felt that he could just throw any kind of shit diagnosis at me and I should accept it. At our lowest, guys, at our lowest, we have to deal with this. Here's another fact. According to the American Psychiatric Association, 24.6% of blacks live with a mental illness. 24.6% of Hispanics live with a mental illness. Our young folks are more likely to be put in prison because of overlooked mental or behavioral health issues. There are cases when our youth act out and they are placed in prison. When white youth act out, they're referred to mental health specialists and providers, therefore avoiding prison time. And this is not, these are not small numbers. You know, some of these facts are from 2016, 2017, and now we're in 2021 and we see what goes on every single day. You know, I remember growing up and I, I don't know if they have these classes in school anymore, but you know, when, when we were in school, when I was in school, they had separate classes for K 
kids that had behavioral health problems or anger management problems, the teachers couldn't control them. So they would just dump them in these classes. And I know for a fact that they received subpar education because they were castaways, you know? And if you're telling the babies from that point on that they're not worthy of quality education, they're not worthy of being treated like first-class human beings, where do you expect their lives to go? And so you're starting at nine and 10 and you're dumping them in these subpar classes and they continue to act out and they continue to have anger management problems and they grow and they grow and they grow and then they get to 18 years old and they're adults. Where do you expect for them to go when no one is taking the time to diagnose them with the issues that are plaguing them? Because no one gives a damn at all. Internalized racism can influence disparities for African-Americans with similar rates of psychiatric diagnoses, but who are more likely to receive inadequate mental health care. How do we trust that? How do we trust that? This is why we have no trust in the majority of systems that are in place in this country. Our justifiable distrust of everybody in a white coat or scrubs is justifiable. I mean, we've been prodded more than field mice. We've been taken advantage of. It's just, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the Google nerd and, you know, I guys, I do the research for, you know, these episodes and it just gets, it makes me so angry. It, it makes me angry to see it on paper and it makes me angry to have to relive what I've gone through. Because we shouldn't be treated like this. We shouldn't be treated like this. In our communities, there's already a stigma about getting mental health care. I had someone say to me, and this was a friend of mine, out loud, that I could just pay them to listen to my issues instead of wasting my time and going to a therapist because we don't go to therapists. Another favorite of mine is save money and talk to the pastor. We, we don't trust the healthcare system, you know, and combine that with the stigma in our communities on mental illness and we're screwed, we're screwed. So if there are already preconceived notions about us, medical professionals would combine those falsehoods with their bias and leave us screwed. Excuse me. I had the F word written down, but I didn't say it. But if ever there was a time to say the F word, guys, it's right now. There's no easier way to describe it. 
Listen to this example from a course I took with the American Psychiatric Association. This is describing an example of what goes on in the mental health field. National data on psychiatric hospital admissions have demonstrated that African Americans are about 1.8 times as likely as white patients to be diagnosed with schizophrenia and about half as likely to be diagnosed with an affective disorder. This demonstrates that these disparities are caused by multiple factors ranging from clinician bias during the interview and formulation process to racial differences in patient presentation. Do you get that? They are not taking the time to listen to us and therefore they're giving us screwed up diagnoses. And I spoke to a doctor who agreed with this. And it shocked me that she agreed with me, but <laughs> you know, I'm glad that she took the time to listen to what I was having to say. I'm gonna tell you this. From 2006 until 2018, I was misdiagnosed and wrongly medicated for bipolar disorder. 12 years. And this was across two states. This was in North Carolina and in New Jersey. Could you imagine? For 12 years, I was taking a medication that I did not need, well, several medications, because listen, if I give you, if I run the list down of medications that I've been on, but for 12 years, I was taking medications for a di an incorrect diagnosis. Imagine that. Do you know, I'm going to do an episode on, on medication, trust me, I am, but do you know, if you know what these depression and bipolar disorder and these different type of medications do to your body and your mind. 12 years I was taking medication that I shouldn't have been taking. God only knows what that did to me. I had a psychiatrist and this is here. I had my breakdown in 2006 and he was my psychiatrist through that period his desk in his office was set up so that his back was to the couch and the chairs that the patients would sit in so that means that he never had to look at us never you would go in his office you would sit down on the couch and he'd have his back to you and just okay how does this make you feel what happened then he'd give you 52 scripts and send you on your way. And he was one of the top psychiatrists in Charlotte, North Carolina, on the news, quoted in newspapers, one of the top psychiatrists. But he could give less than a shit about what I was saying and what I was going through. He just kept writing scripts. And sidebar, if you take a medication, it takes four to six weeks for that medication to get into your bloodstream and start showing improvements or no improvement. So if I come to you six weeks in a six week period and tell you that 
this medication is making me feel that way or so on and so forth, you can say, well, let's adjust the dosage or let's just wait another couple of weeks and see how it works out. Not him. He would just dis disperse with that script and write another script. I sometimes when I sit down and I think about this journey, I'm lucky that I'm not addicted to prescription medications. Um, a horrible, horrible, a horrible experience. He was the beginning of my, my journey into psych, psychological hell. <laughs> you know, um, he was the beginning of the medication journey. He was the beginning of my ECT journey, um, which we'll discuss at another time. But he, he was absolutely horrible. And when I moved back here in 2018, I was looking for, I, I had to find a new team. And when I saw that he was still practicing, I, I shuddered. I, I just couldn't believe it. Doctors hold their heads cocksided and listen for code words. You know, they just sit there. You know how puppies, when you're talking to them, they <laughs> tilt their head to the side. That's what some of these psychologists and psychiatrists do. They just sit here and they listen to code words. So one of the code words for bipolar disorder is mood swings, because that is really, that's one of the symptoms that, that that's a prominent symptom, mood swings. And so when I would say that I had mood swings, that's all that they would hear. And then they would write a script for that. But no one, not many of them drilled down to see whether the mood swings were highs and lows or low lows. They never took into consideration that the medication that they had me on could be causing the mood swings. Or hell, how about they did not drill down to find out if I was using the correct term? Because what I wasn't, what I was having was anxiety or, or anger issues and a reaction to my illness, not necessarily a mood swing. But these are the words that they hear. They don't take the time to listen to you. And this is what happens. You're misdiagnosed. You're not diagnosed. You're thrown from doctor to therapist to therapist to doctor, back and forth, back and forth, like a ping pong. But nobody has taken the time to really sit and digest what you're saying. And we suffer in the end. Not being heard shakes your confidence. Something that most of us with mental illnesses are lacking anyway. We don't, you know, and I think one, one day I will, and, and you guys, I know you hear it in my voice sometimes that I get shaky and I start crying, but if I can express, I, I, I find it very hard to express how I feel on a daily basis. Um, and when I say that I live in hell daily, I live in hell daily and there are one or two things that bring me out of, of, of the rooms of hell. Cause I, I have not left hell in years and you cannot imagine feeling this pain, sometimes physical 
all the time is mental. You cannot imagine feeling this pain and still having to fight to be treated like a human being. Have someone listen to you, truly listen to you and understand how much you're suffering. That, we don't have that, is, is bullshit. And there's really no other way to word it. It's absolute bullshit that we don't have the confidence to walk into a medical facility and know that we're going to be heard and we're going to be treated like the kings and queens that we are. Let me get back to <laughs> what we're talking about. When I was in New Jersey, New Jersey, their mental health system, I can go on for days. But of course, in 2012, when I moved to New Jersey, I had to find a team, which is part of the, that, that's another part of the, the journey that sucks is that every time you move or, you know, you, you lose a doctor, you have to start the process all over again. So I found a therapist and again, one of the top therapists in the area that I was living in and she dropped me because she didn't want to do the paperwork because I was on Medicare. And a lot of, a lot of doctors do this. We're not even going to, you know, single out the mental health field, but a lot of doctors do this. They don't want to deal with Medicare and Medicaid because they don't want to do the paperwork or it takes too long for them to get paid. So they just drop the patient. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Another therapist in the same area dropped me because I went against her treatment plan. Because again, I went to her and she listened for cold words and wanted to throw this medication at me. And it was a medication that made me violently ill. It was a medication that had given me seizures and I refused to take the medication. And not only did I refuse to take that medication, but I gave her a list of other medications that I hadn't taken, but I had read about that could possibly help me at that time. She dropped me. And how crazy is that though? I had been at this time on that journey for 10 years, 52 doctors, 85,000 meds, living with treatment resistant depression. Who knew better than me what medications weren't gonna work? I know, but she didn't wanna listen to me because she was the professional. And so I was useless. But I knew when I walked into her office for the first time that this was gonna end this way because she gave me the look. You know, seeing D. Hairston on paper and then seeing D. Hairston in person, I don't think she made the connection. Y'all know, y'all know. Remember we talked about microaggressions? So we already knew where it was gonna go. And then it turns out that once I found a qualified psychiatrist in the area, this particular um, psychiatrist was 
written up many times um, because of her attitude and because of her neglect of patients. So, I told you guys, I have stories for days. When I got to uh, my, I had a wonderful therapist for about a year and change and she retired. And so I had to find a, another therapist in New Jersey. And I walked into this lady's office and I was talking to her. You guys want to know what she said to me? She said that I was well-spoken. Oh, you're so well-spoken and you're so well-versed on your condition. Now we already know what that means. When somebody tells you that you speak properly, really y'all that's I don't even consider that nowadays to be a microaggression that's just some bull that you would say that to me that you were shocked that this black woman was sitting in front of you and could articulate her feelings and articulate her illness she was surprised she was surprised she said, are you sure that you're sick? Listening to you talk, I can't imagine that you're as sick as this paperwork says that you are. Needless to say that that only lasted one session. One session. I couldn't and I, could, I couldn't be bothered. In 2018, after my breakdown, I moved back to Charlotte, North Carolina. And here we go again, I had to find another team. And I wanna tell you guys that this story that I'm about to tell you just knocks all of the other stories that I have out the box. This therapist had the audacity to tell me that I was stupid for not marrying my abuser so I can have his benefits. She sure enough did say that. That I should have married him so that I can have his medical benefits. And this is after I had gotten out of the relationship. This is after you read the paper that says that I struggle with PTSD because of a traumatic relationship. She said that I should have stayed with him so I can have his medical benefits. I ain't lying, y'all. And you know that happened there, had the nerve to send me a bill and to call me to ask when I was gonna pay that bill? Hmm. Y'all, I told you I got stories. I got receipts too. So if anybody ever listens and says that they don't believe me, I got receipts. But you just want the luxury of trusting people with the most important part of you, your mind. I just wanted to go to these people and be able to sit down and share how much pain I was in and have them give a damn. We don't have that luxury. 
Your relationship with your therapist should be comfortable and trusting. You should not be afraid to be yourself for fear of judgment or disdain. It's bad enough that we don't have enough psychologists and psychiatrists that look like us. We should at least expect to be treated like human beings. Remember, less than 2% of American Psychiatric Association members are black. And I'm going to add my two cents or 50 cents or whatever, however many cents you got. A large number of that 2% don't even take Medicaid or Medicare. And that's on Mary and that lamb that everybody's talking about. They refuse to take public health care. Because again, we don't get paid properly. Or we don't, your gripe is with the government. That has nothing to do with me. That has nothing to do with your commitment to provide quality health care. If you guys don't believe me, go to psychology today and check. You can drill down. You can pick a male or a female. You can pick what race you want and, and just check and see if you're in the market. I mean, that's one of my top sites for when you're looking for a psychological team. And, and you'll see the results. You'll see it. We have so much working against us. 4.8 million blacks reported a mental illness. 1.1% of those million reported a severe mental illness. Black men are four times more likely to die by suicide than black women. These are documented numbers, guys. Documented. Let's give an example. Imagine a brother is walking down the street. A non-black woman is coming towards him and she decides to clutch her purse and cross the street. When he gets to his destination, guess what? That's his therapist. Now, I know that you guys just laugh, but guess what? That can be a true story. A true story. And she's in charge of his care. Is he going to stay there with her? He's not. He's not. And is he going to trust that the next person is going to treat him any better? He's not. He's not. So our brothers are just going to continue dying because, number one, they have shame. And number two, they are some of the most feared people on the planet. And they are not going to get the correct mental health care. They're not going to have a medical team that is listening to them, truly listening to them and helping them. But this is how we're living, guys. And this is also how we're dying. Just like we need to get louder about being sick, we also need to get louder about receiving proper care. If you encounter any kind of discrimination while seeking care, speak up. I know it's difficult to do, especially while you're hurting. But keep notes because when you come out of that period, and you have a little bit of clarity, you can take the steps to correct the treatment that you received. Or always have someone listed as your outside voice, a designated voice. I always say it's a designated voice. You know, someone in your family or a friend that you trust and you know that they will have your back. 
When I was hospitalized in 2018, I cannot tell you how many people were mistreated but did not have an outside voice. And parents, don't get me started. Parents, get loud. Get loud. Do not let them do whatever they want to your babies. Don't let them give you any type of diagnosis and any type of medication. Get loud. Ask for everything in writing. I almost got arrested, y'all, when my first, my, my oldest got sick. I swear I did. But they surely did slow the fuck down, excuse me, and explain every detail to me and write down every single detail. I don't care that she was 18. That is still my child. And you are going to tell me exactly what's going on with her and where we go from here. It was one of the worst points of my life. I should not have been experiencing that. Should not. And it's absolutely horrible that we're still experiencing these things in 2021. But after all of this, I'm going to tell you that there are medical professionals out there that care. My therapist now is a godsend. I mean, she is just absolutely wonderful. And she's a woman. <laughs> and she is a Latina woman. And so that means that when I sit down and I talk to her, I don't have to color who I am. And, and that's, saying, that's saying something because I can tell you that I, at, at least in this journey, I've had three amazing therapists. All women, I've, I've never had, um, I think I've had a male therapist one time, but amazing, three amazing women that were my therapists. But this is the first time that I sat down and started speaking and felt like I was heard and felt like someone can take my mental health diagnosis and my environmental history and connect that and treat me properly. So don't give up, don't give up. If you follow me on my social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I always share resources. So there are always, always, always resources out there so you can find the perfect fit. And I, I don't want you to get discouraged because it does take a long time. You know, it, it does take some legwork to find the right fit, but they're out there, they're out there. And if you have a hard time doing that, you can always connect with me privately. Email me, message me, and, and I'll work with you to try to find a good team because it's necessary, it's mandatory. And we cannot give up on our health because there are racists out there. We have to succeed in spite of. So keep being loud, guys. Keep being loud and do not give up. Before I go, I'm going to tell you all the good news that I have. I'm happy to tell you guys that Behind the Mask is now on Spotify and it's on iHeartRadio. Yay! So that means that, you know, you don't have to download a million apps to listen to me now. And we're also working on iTunes. <laughs> LOL. I always say LOL after I say iTunes or Apple because, um, yeah, 
they, they can be a little stressful. But but my amazing team, my brother over at Illumination Technology is working hard to, to get me settled with iTunes. So stay tuned. Next week, I promise we're going to be having a little fun. I'm, I'm going to take a break from the serious, serious subjects and we're going to have some fun. I'm going to give you some fun ways to to deal with your mental illness. So I hope to see you then. And before I go, I want to say happy Father's Day to all of the amazing fathers and father figures. All of the men in my life, I appreciate you. I love you and I honor you. And to all the men out there that are being great fathers and father figures, you are loved and you are appreciated. So take care, family, and always remember, I get you and I got you. See y'all soon. Bye. Searching for more